Well, good morning, church family. I'm always so honored and delighted to be sharing God's word with you. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 1, We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope. In our Lord Jesus Christ. There we go. Good morning. So I'll repeat that verse. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 1. We always thank God for all of you. And continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father. Your work produced by faith. Your labor prompted by love. And your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So according to the Apostle Paul, there are three great motivators in the Christian life. Faith, hope, and love. What we ultimately trust in. Where our hope really lies. And what we love most of all. Not only reveal our true selves. But also determine the direction of our lives. As a young girl, I remember seeing a picture of a ship worker standing next to a huge ocean liner that was about to be launched. And the man in the picture was just so tiny next to those massive marine propellers that was somehow invisible when the ship was in the water. And I remember being so impressed that while that huge propeller was unseen, while the ship is afloat, These masterfully designed steel creations are what give the ship its power and allow it to glide through the water. Well, in the same way, think of faith, hope, and love as the three huge propellers that drive the church safely on mission through the perilous seas of life. The church, that is God's people, are motivated By faith, hope, and love. Well, I'm not sure if you've noticed, but things seem to have fallen apart in an unprecedented way over these last three years. Particularly in our cultural life together. It seems there is more hatred, more vitriol, more animosity. There's more division as rigid lines have been drawn with such passion and hatred And part of the challenge for us is that the second lines are drawn, there's a tendency for us to categorize people as us or them. And in our human nature, we are we sometimes are tempted to live in fear and to even stop allocating resources of empathy or compassion or concern to anyone who falls outside of those lines. We may even give extra to those who are on the inside and hold back from those who are different from us. And, you know, one of the tragic things that ends up happening, of course, is that followers of Jesus have been drawn into this, too. Have you found yourself over the last few years yelling at the television or screaming at the radio? How could they? What's wrong with these people? And yet, 
As followers of Jesus, we are confronted with this very real reality that where Jesus says, if you love those who love you, what good is that? Even sinners do that. And the context in which Jesus speaks these words is very clear. He's speaking to those who assert, we're right, we're God's chosen people, everyone else is the enemy, draw the line, keep them out. And Jesus says, you've let the culture of Rome get into the heart of the people of God. You and I are called to a boundary-crossing love. I say to you, Jesus says, love your enemies. Do good. Pray and bless those who are opposed to you, slander you, and persecute you. And so at times like these, it's good to be reminded once again of what the church is called to do and perhaps more aptly who the church is called to be. Because now more than ever, we are called to cultivate a bedrock of love, to recover a scandalous love of Jesus and to cross those barriers. And to help us do that, we're going to take a look at a passage written at a highly contentious and hostile time in the life of the church. And here's the point I'm seeking to make this morning. Of all the practices that are available to us today, hospitality may just be one of the most important callings for the church of the moment to weave the kingdom of God throughout our great city. And here's the truth. As we talk about transforming the heart of the city, you and I may not hold positions of significant influence to make big change in the areas that are needed most. And yet, every single one of us have been given an unlimited capacity to offer hospitality in small and meaningful ways that point to a most gracious and loving Savior. And so this morning in our studies, we're going to take a look at what biblical hospitality is, why it matters, and why the church is called to have a rich and robust vision and practice it. Our scripture reading comes from 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. Hear now God's holy word. The apostle Peter writes, the end of all things is near. Be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gifts he has received as faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides. So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So this is the Apostle Peter writing his first letter to a church under pressure. 
And in the context of practical teaching about life in the world, with all of its complexities, he gives a blunt and vital sense of perspective. He says in that opening verse, the end of all things is near. Now, that's a clear and frequent message of New Testament writers that the Jesus who died and was raised and ascended into heaven is going to return one day soon. And that is a day of judgment and renewal. Judgment against the sin of those who stand in opposition to him as Lord and Savior. And renewal as he restores and redeems his fallen creation that we inhabit. Knowing that, Peter says, will prompt a response in us. It's an urgent reality and therefore our response must be urgent. And so we see that one of Peter's priorities for living life in the end days is to live a life of love expressed in hospitality. Now, when you hear the word hospitality, what image comes to mind? It's important to talk about this because each culture treasures certain customs. We heard that a few weeks ago from Pastor Brian as he shared He was trying to show his gratitude to a group that had been so gracious by picking up the tab and it didn't go so well. You see, each culture has developed a standard for what hospitality looks like. Now, if you're like me and you grew up in the South, that standard was quite high. Most of us were taught that hospitality was synonymous to entertaining or perhaps This is what you thought of when you hear the word hospitality. And if you're like me, you might be both very charmed and completely intimidated by that vision of gracious hospitality because it's lovely. And it's my sincere hope that you've experienced the joy of both extending and receiving lavish hospitality at some point in your life. But biblical hospitality can be very different than gracious entertaining, which can sometimes be more about the host than the guest. And in fact, I've learned, as perhaps you have too, that there's an element of hospitality in every culture that is less sincere, meaning it doesn't go all the way down. As sometimes the same people who hold open the door for you are speaking behind your back when the door is closed. And this hospitality lacks authenticity and the kind of genuine love that the scriptures speak of. The great Augustine was said to have a plaque painted above his wall in his dining room that said, He who speaks ill of the man not present is not welcome here. So what is biblical hospitality? Well, the word comes from two Greek words. The first, philos, which is one of the four loves mentioned in the Bible, and it means brotherly or non-romantic love. And the second root word is xenos, from which we get our word xenophobia, but xenos means fear, foreigner, excuse me, outsider. And so xenophobia would be fear of the outsider or from those who are different from us. So when the Bible speaks of hospitality, it's referring to a brotherly love for the stranger or the outsider. We are to love the stranger, love the outsider, 
love those who are different from us. And this is actually very countercultural to the people in Peter's day and is a beautiful biblical concept that would have been in many ways unknown in the ancient world. And so he writes, the end of all things is near. Therefore, with sober minds and clear minds, know the story from which you're in. This is urgent. And for Peter, the priority for him is to offer love in the form of hospitality. And so our calling then is to cultivate a profound love for people who are different from us. And at this time of history, this will only be a work of God. Our policies will not fix this. A study of sociology and of different cultures will be helpful. It will not fix this. This kind of hospitality that God intends and in fact has designed for us can only be his work and is the mark of every Christian. This is what hospitality is. Joshua Jip wrote a very helpful book called Save by Faith and Hospitality. And I have a quote for us here on the screen. He writes, hospitality is the act or process whereby the identity of the stranger is transformed into that of guest. While hospitality often uses the basic necessities of life, such as the protection of one's home and the offer of food and drink, conversation and clothing. The primary impulse of hospitality is to create a safe and welcoming place where the stranger can be converted into a friend. The practice of hospitality to strangers very frequently hopes to create relationships and friendships between those who were previously either alienated at enmity or simply unknown to one another. And so there's this profound calling for us to make spaces that don't yet exist in our everyday culture. Spaces of hospitality where the identity of the people who were previously on the outside of our normal circles of influence, of those we may have even feared or pushed out, where they can come in and be converted from an outsider to an insider. From a stranger to a friend. From an enemy to a brother. That's the vision of biblical hospitality. An environment of welcome plus the conversion of the identity of the person we've previously feared or excluded. It's creating hospitable spaces in hostile places. Now, why are we called to this? We all know that as Christians, there are many things that New Testament writers encourage us to do, to pray. It was in our passage this morning. We should all read scripture to know it is the living word of God. We're called to give generously. We're called as people of God to submit to the authority of our church, of our congregation. We know these things, but are we really called to a life of hospitality, or is this just a fringe hobby for extroverted people? In other words, is hospitality central to who we are and what we practice? 
Well, in the gospel, there are three times that Jesus speaks of the Son of Man coming. The first, he says the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That was his heart. The second time, he says the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. That was his atoning sacrifice, the work on the cross. But finally, he says the Son of Man came eating and drinking. What might he have meant by this? Might hospitality be the way he intended for us and others to grasp his gospel love? Is hospitality central to who we are as Christians? I believe the answer is yes, because all human hospitality flows from the divine hospitality that you and I have been shown by Christ himself So when we see the Gospels through this light, we realize that this is exactly what Jesus was doing. He was always creating environments of welcome that converted the identity of people who were considered on the outside and the rejects by the religious culture of the day so that his kingdom could be extended. Take just Luke's Gospel, just quickly. Luke 4 Jesus returns to his hometown and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He's saying my ministry is for the outsider, not the insider. And the people there were so furious, they literally tried to run him out of town and off of a cliff. And then in Luke 5, Jesus stirs such a, creates such a stir in the culture by eating with sinners and tax collectors Something the Pharisees deemed, as you know, absolutely deplorable. And in Luke 10, Jesus tells a story of the Good Samaritan. And this would have had everyone scratching their heads because the wrong person is the hero of the story. And then he says, go be like that guy. In Luke 14, Jesus extends an invitation to his table fellowship and sends his disciples into the highways and the byways and says, invite anyone who will come to share fellowship around my table. In Luke 15, the Pharisees were once furious with Jesus. It says many teachers of the law grumbled because sinners came to hear Jesus preach. But then Jesus launches into this trilogy of Category-defying love. He tells the story of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. As we heard a few weeks ago, Pastor Brian led us in Luke 19, where Jesus eats with Zacchaeus. He was a total cultural traitor. And Jesus says, I'm coming to your home today. And when he did... He created such an environment of welcome in Zacchaeus' home, so much so that it converted his identity. And Jesus would say, this man, too, is surely a son of Abraham. At the end of Luke's gospel, two men are walking on the road to Emmaus. Jesus joins them. But it's not until the meal, till a moment of hospitality That Jesus reveals himself to be present. And didn't the men say, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us? Might there be something transformational that happens around the Christian table 
Biblical hospitality produces portals of belonging so that the kingdom of God can be extending, extended, offering hope and healing, bringing light into dark places. As we look at the life and teaching of Jesus, we see why it's such a consistent message in the New Testament letters. Because Jesus was always feeding people or eating with people or telling parables about feasts where people became at home in a place that was not their own. And likewise, some of his strongest rebukes were given against those who failed to show hospitality when they ought. The parable of the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25 is about the division between those who are obedient to Jesus and those who aren't. And the presenting issue is, do you show hospitality to the least of these? For Jesus, hospitality is an essential Christian virtue. The obedient come into the inheritance of his kingdom and the disobedient find their judgment of eternal consequences. And so this is at the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. He practiced unconditional hospitality where he went. As I thought about this, this spring I visited uh, Minneapolis. I attended a national Presbyterian leaders for our meeting for our denomination. And of course, my flight was delayed. And while I sat in this very crowded airport for two hours, I noticed in my little area was a young couple from another country. And it's a country where a lot of terrorism has happened. And they were obviously new. I can hear them speak to our country, fairly new. But I was going to use this time to catch up on email and catch up on work. And as I sat there, I felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit saying, start a conversation. Ask them about their story. And so after a little procrastination, I did just that. And what happened, what I learned was that this man had been a math professor. He was so excited. He knew a newly appointed position in his country of origin when they experienced persecution and they had to flee. And his education and credentials did not uh, were not recognized in the United States. So he's in the process of of going to school and to reestablish their family here. And I asked them about their family that they had to leave and what their country, what it was like and how the last three years have been for him and for her. And I shared a little bit about mine. I didn't share that I was a pastor, but I shared about a savior who came and ministered to me when I was so sick. I didn't want to finish treatment and how God became real. And at the end of our conversation, he said to me, we've been here five years. No one's ever asked my story. Here I am going to a national leaders convention, you know, to talk about missional discipleship. When opportunities are right here in front of us. Might I encourage you this week for you to just You have 21 opportunities to eat this week. Might you just take one and invite someone for coffee? Ask them their story. How has life been for them and their family in these last three years? 
Because Christian, you may not be too sinful for Jesus to use, but you may be too busy. I know I am. Often. I want to end by showing a very short clip of a couple that I learned about in that Minneapolis trip. It's a radical example of one Christian couple to God's grace. We were really close to finishing Hope. We were probably two months away from opening. I was living a great life. I was making probably the top 10% in America. And um, one day that changed. COVID became this real thing. I was sitting downstairs and I was praying about it. God said, we're going to have a story to tell. I knew what he wanted me to do. God kept saying, give it all away. And I told Sarah, I'm like, we, we have to shut down. We have to close our restaurant and turn into a community kitchen full time. I don't know how we're going to pay for it. Don't know how we're going to lay off all of our staff. Don't know how we're going to do any of it, but we're going to do it. And I literally thought we were going to go bankrupt. I'm Brian Ingram, owner of Purpose Driven Restaurants, and we're in Hope Breakfast Bar here in St. Paul. Sarah and I saw um, the need, the, the schools had started closing down. So everybody was talking about how these kids weren't being fed. So we decided that we were going to try to just feed those kids. So I did a post on social media and we just said, any family in need can come get a meal. That Monday, I think we were at 10,000 requests. We had food in our restaurant we had food on our shelves so we were able to give that away relatively easily but that food when you're talking about those numbers it was it was gone within days had no idea what was going to happen how we were going to get through it every day sarah and i would just pray and it was just so crazy how faithful god was like the second one provision would run out another provision would come in Every restaurant around us called and said, we saw what you were doing. Can we bring our food over? So the semi would show up. Every day we had no idea what we were cooking. It just stuff would show up and that's what we would cook. That only lasted a few more days because at that point we were feeding, I think, two or 3,000 people a day. We were down to nothing. And the mail started coming. A check would show up and literally in an envelope and there was no return address. There was nothing. And it was $20,000. We're like, we can go for another two weeks. We can go for another three weeks. We would be at the end of it. We can't make it. You lean into your faith and God's like, I have a way. I have a way. The mandates came off. We opened our restaurant and it was just crazy. I mean, lines after lines after lines. So now our business tripled in volume. During the middle of a pandemic, we opened six months before that. We had an annual sales of whatever it was, a half a million dollars or something like that. Here we are two years later. We have north of 12 million in annual sales. We've been able to help a restaurant overseas. And this cafe only exists because of the outreach that River Valley is doing and what they're doing with Kingdom Builders. We got there and we decided... You know what, we can help pay for all of the restaurant equipment. It's not our money, and that's how we, how we look at it. It's, 
God has blessed us in ways that we've never even dreamed about. And um, it's his. So when it's his, it, it changes everything. This was one couple's response to COVID. They were about to open a restaurant when they were forced to close their doors. And this is their response. And so that's a radical response, right? You and I may never be able to do something quite so grand. But I know, I know because of our divine creator that you and I can, starting today, live a life on mission with hospitality being central to who you are. I pray that that would inspire you to take perhaps a small or big step this week. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for this passage and for your word that stands the test of time. We thank you that you have lived and died and rose again and that you declared your love and have showed us grace and opened the gate of your home. Keep us firm in the hope that you've set before us. Remind us that we only proceed by your grace, but that you are large and in charge and have indeed already solved the biggest problem that we'll ever have. And that is being separate from the father. So be with us, we pray, be with our church family as we consider what it looks like to transform the heart of the city with your gospel good news. For it's in your precious name we pray. Amen.